You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. We are live, a Thursday edition of Birds 365. You got your Mac and Mac guys in the house today. John McMullen and Jody McDonald here to get you that much further prep for a showdown Sunday between the 1-0 Eagles and the 1-0 49ers. Both put up a bunch of points in week number one, and we'll talk plenty about that today. J-Mac, as you see, I got my uh, Philly uh, stuff on. I was at the uh, game last night. Tremendously exciting walk-off pass ball win. Yeah, by the walk-off Phillies. pass ball. That that's that's exciting. That's yeah. like uh, you know, that's like Carlton Fisk down the line. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, uh, not, similar, but not yeah. not quite. Yes, uh, it was kind of a up and down tough game to take but a victory just the same and i did get to go to the game with my daughter which was a lot of fun last night uh but i did get a good night's sleep now prepped and ready to talk eagles 49ers today as i know you are as well um but i have to start here and uh I, by the I, way I, can i ask a philly's yeah. question real quick yeah go ahead. so i saw something i think it was from aton so i'm gonna give aton chander credit but i'm not sure I didn't know if Aton was joking or not because I was just scrolling through Twitter. Did Bryce Harper call this an Eagles Town? It is an Eagles Town, but I'd be interested to see if he did that. I don't know if that was he, real or not. If, if he, he did, I haven't, see, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, but, he's probably joking there. All right. Um, I just wanted I, clarification. Maybe he wasn't. I, I haven't seen that uh, particular quote from Bryce, uh, but uh, he, he's out there busting it last night for the Phillies, even though, yes, it was an ugly win. It was a win just the same. Glad to see it. Uh, let me get your read on this. Uh, did you make it to the limited practice availability yesterday? Uh, yes. Yes, of course okay. I was there. Um, so you were there on the sidelines, as were a bunch of Eagle players. Uh, some limited in practice. whole bunch of guys got DNPs, didn't even bother uh, because yeah, they're old and or they're injured and or uh, the team decided to let them take it easy. Bunch of guys listed as rest for yesterday's practice. I love the city are in second guess and go, wait a minute. You played one game yeah. and you're already in the full rest mode. Come on, what the hell? But they did it all throughout the preseason. They went out and played as well as they did week one. So I guess you just have to say, okay, I guess you guys know best. Because to this point, they pushed all the right buttons. Were you surprised by the lengthy list of non-full participants at practice yesterday? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I saw early on when we got out there, we realized, you know, you can see guys don't have their helmets. Uh, 
they're not going to practice guys like Zach Ertz and, and Brandon Brooks. Uh, but then I got to admit when, because uh, most of the guys went through stretching, uh, the Fletcher Coxes, the Brandon Grahams, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, who else? Miles Sanders, on and on and on, Darius Slay. Um, they were all out there with their helmets. It looked like they were going to practice. Uh, so they were working out with the team and stretching beforehand. Yeah, when that uh, when that injury report came into my email box, uh, I saw the length and I said, what did I miss? Who got hurt? Who got hurt in practice? Yeah. I mean, if you go back to training camp, Jody, I think it was two of the first seven days were maintenance days yeah. with all these guys. Uh, but you're right. After that game one, we talked. Let's we talked all summer about is this team preparing enough? Not only the rest days, but the length of the practices and all that kind of stuff. And they go out in week one and they beat the brakes off the Falcons. You can call them a bad team, whatever. But yeah, I mean, right now you can't question them. Now, if they show up for San Francisco and lay an egg, you can start bringing those questions back, but they have a little money in the bank now. So it's, you know, do I agree with it? Probably not, but certain guys, Brandon Brooks, I think it's pretty evident that this is going to be something pretty much going on the entire season. He's one of those veteran players. You see it all over the NFL. They're not going to practice much. He might show up on Friday, do a little stuff during the lightest day, and you're just trying to get him to game day. Um, that's the way it's going to be for certain guys. And like I said, right now it looks great. We'll see if that continues. Right. They can't uh, – they're 1-0 and 1-0 an impressive victory. So – Whatever buttons they're pushing, you can't question it until you can. And we're not questioning it this week, but beware. We may next week. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned Brandon Brooks and the fact that he was one of those rest guys yesterday, and they're going to be careful with him all year. And it's certainly understandable with the amount of injuries he's had in his career and having missed all of last year. Although you continue to tell me they were really trying to get him up to speed and ready to go for the end of the season if they had had yeah. a chance at the playoffs, which was good news. So we're pretty well removed from that, but they're still handling him with Cape Gloves a little bit. Um, with him being out, full participant yesterday, Landon Dickerson, which had not been the case since he became a Philadelphia Eagle. He has not been listed as a full participant in practice since, and that was the case yesterday, with most of his work coming at the right guard position rather than backup center. And you and I have talked about this. Everybody talked about it since the day he was drafted. Well, where are the Eagles going to put this guy on an offensive line that looks pretty damn solid? You use a second-round pick, you're hoping to get something out of a guy in year number one. Well, maybe not with the Eagles. So then it's year two or year three or year four. Where is the most likely landing spot? for Landon Dickerson, and I'm not saying it was decided yesterday, but it was at least intriguing that right guard was where he got some significant reps in practice yesterday. Am I reading too much into this here, uh, Johnny Mac? Yeah, for the obvious reason. I mean, Brandon Brooks wasn't practicing. Uh, Jason Kelsey was, at least to a little bit, certainly was in individual drills, and, and, and then – kind of begged off. And then Isaac was actually practicing. So those guys, what we saw, and that's why everybody took the film and the, and the video. Remember, we get kicked out when team drills start. So right. to us, it looked like 
every all those guys I mentioned, the Johnsons, the Kelseys, the the Grams, the Coxes, the Slays, it looked like they were going to practice. Um, and Jason was working throughout individual drills. And you can go to my Twitter account at JF McMullen. I got video of, of Jason Kelsey and Landon Dickerson working on uh, combo blocks in individual drills before the team drill started. So he was a right guard because Brandon was the only one who was completely out. He wasn't working in the individual work. When the team drills got started, I don't know where he was with the second team, but that's where he's going to be. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> really, this affects Nate Herbig more than anything else. I mean, this guy looks like he's ready to go. Looks like he's going to make his NFL debut in week two. And immediately, because of his size, his talent, his, his ability, he's going to be the top interior backup. So he's going to be the backup to um, Brooks, Kelsey, and Isaac Samuel. If any of them get banged up, if Landon Dickerson's ready to go, he's going to be the guy. My, um, so my question to you would be, and again, I know uh, not a fair question because now you guys are limited and you can't see as much, so it's more speculation than anything else. Herbig has been the guy who's been the interior backup for all those positions when Landon Dickerson was just watching. Now you're saying he's going to move to the top of the list would only make sense because they took him in the second round this past year. Is he going to be up to speed enough? First series this weekend, one of those three interior linemen go down. Uh, it's a given that he's going in, be it. No, I would say right it's a given because of that, because of what you just said. Uh, when, when they feel he's ready, I think it's a given. Uh, when that comes, when that day comes. I remember remember that was his first full participant practice right. as a Philadelphia Eagle. So, yeah, they might say game day, say, okay, we're going in the right direction. They call it the ramp-up period all the time with different guys. They might, they might think he needs more time, but ultimately that's where they're going to get. When they get there, I don't know. It sure looks like he's he's ready to go from a physical standpoint whether Jeff Stoutland think he's ready to go from knowing the system and, and being sharp and getting some of the rust off. You know, I'm, I'm hoping actually to talk to Jeff Stoutland on Friday. We'll see if that comes through. So maybe we'll get a little bit of more clarity. Uh, of course, that'll be after verse 365. So we'll get that on Monday, but um, it, it, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's possible it'll take a couple weeks, a, a couple week ramp up period, but there's no question. And that's ultimately where it's going to go. Right. And the hope is, look, the hope is he doesn't have to play. We talked a little bit about Isaac Samala with Jeff Kerr. These people who think Isaac Samala is losing his job are, are nuts. It ain't, it ain't happening. So the only way he's playing this year is through injury. And by playing, I mean playing significantly. And then in 2022, they're going to find a way to get him on the field. Uh, there's no question about that either. But, we'll, you know, that's a bridge you cross when you come to it. Right. And we probably won't know that bridge. You said you're going to ask Stoutland this week uh, because you guys have limited practice access now in the regular season, much less than you did in the preseason. Probably not going to know till a Sunday, a given Sunday. Could be this week, doubtful. Maybe next week, who knows? The week after, more likely that it's going to be uh, Landon Dickerson activated for the game, which he wasn't. He was one of the, the inactives 
for this past Sunday against uh, the Falcons. He, until they uh, make that available to you guys on Sundays, chances are you won't know. Uh oh, all right, this is Landon's week to step in and play if he has to. They might let us know. I mean, Friday's the final injury report. If he's if he's not on it, if he's he's set for the game, that's going to be a pretty clear indication they're going to make him active. The the problem with the Eagles is it's not a problem. It's a good problem to have. They they do have significant significant depth on the offensive line compared to most teams. So it is about a comfort factor. I mean, I in theory, they could make him a healthy scratch and say he's just not ready yet. I don't know if they'd want to do that just because of his status. Uh, we talk about status all the time. It's a real thing in the NFL. I think they have to keep uh, Toth active. Uh, they have to keep Dillard active. They have to keep one of the two active, Dickerson or Herbig. So – you know, they'll probably say they'll probably rule them out if they're not going to address them. I would think, um, just because they don't want to go down that road. So uh, was Dickerson active this week? I didn't catch the inactives on Sunday. No, he wasn't. He not wasn't. Dickerson. Uh, um, uh, Diller. Yeah. Diller. Yeah. Yeah. He was active. He was active. Okay, so they kept two tackles, reserve tackles, active. And then one guy who is the reserve across the middle three spots. And this week it was Herberg. The question is, when is Dickerson going to be able to hop in? All right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, let me ask you about your boy, JG. He uh, spoke to the media this week talking about what they did last week and what they've got to do this upcoming week against the 49ers. Asked about the fast start by the Falcons last week. They moved the ball up and down the field the first two possessions. They kind of crapped out in the uh, red zone, which the Falcons do from they time always, to time. They always do. <laughs> yes. Uh, but they, you still, you got to keep them out of the end zone. And the Eagles did. And he was asked about what changed between the first two possessions and then basically every other possession thereafter where the Falcons did diddly squat. And I was surprised by what he said. And I'm sure he means it. I don't think he lied to us, but he said it was about technique, that they cleaned up some things on technique. And that was the difference, and that was the key. Well, technique is the individual player. Every player has to be in charge of their own technique, whereas scheme is scheme, and scheme includes the coaching staff. And the first thing I thought of when I heard that was, wow, he's putting it all on the players and none on himself and or his uh, <laughs> oh, wow. fellow coaching guys yeah. underneath them. Now, shame on the players who uh, didn't remember their technique, and we had to get them on the sidelines and tell them, stick to your technique. And then they did, and they were uh, the uh, steel curtain thereafter. Uh, am I am I being tough on the coaching staff here, specifically the defensive coordinator? Um, I, I think so. I mean, I, I was the one who asked uh, Gannon that question uh, because I was first up. Um, and you're right. He talked about technique. Look, I think their alignment was bad. I think their um, tackling obviously was bad um, early in the game. And I think that's what he was talking about. But from a player's perspective, I guess I hear what you're saying, Jody. But from a player's perspective, and Nick Sirianni did this again yesterday. He's, when people are asking him about scheme and he said it's always about player, player, player. He said it like 15 times first, player first. I think players like that, other than a coach going up there and saying, no, I did this and I did that. He, he In other words, he's, he's giving the players credit for turning it around 
and sharpening up their alignment, their eyes, their technique. I think that resonates with players more than I did this, I did that. And by the way, I think he's telling the truth. I don't think he changed much. They were playing the same defense. They just were more effective. So, um, yeah, I think think that kind of stuff goes over well with players. I think what goes over poorly with players is coaches going up there and acting like they're the reason for success. So I, I think from a player perspective, it's it's they're they're ha- they're happy with that kind of stuff. Now maybe when they're playing poorly, that's when you want the coach to to step up and say, "I need to do this, I need to do that," and don't blame the players. But when you have a route, I think when you immediately go to the players and say, "No, they fixed it," I think that that's the way you should go. Okay, yeah, he did, uh, he called them into question, but he also said, yeah, and by the way, we really clamped down and gave him nothing thereafter. So he did question in one way, but he did give credit in the other. You're right there. And uh, alignment, assignment, key, and technique. Another T-shirt coming out? <laughs> A Jonathan Gannon T-shirt, yeah. uh, Johnny Mac? I put, people took that harshly. Uh, but I don't know if you saw that. I, I put... I, I it, it's it's starting to annoy me that the Eagles coaching staff and it's everybody talks in T-shirt slogans. You said now, that all yesterday. They say, on the show, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, people might have picked up on that because it did not go over well. And by who, the way, I now crashed. wait a minute, who didn't it go over well with? Well, a bunch of people texted me, and uh, Harry Mays, I can say, our friend, because of really, me. yeah, he said, "Who are you ripping?" I'm like, I didn't rip anybody. I just said. I'm a little tired of the T-shirt slogans. I thought um, it was great. <laughs> you didn't get a text from me, bud. Yeah. I Well, I, you know, and by the way, Ed Kratz was the first one. I give him credit. I told him, but I told him I was going to steal it. Um, he, he was the one who who put it in my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you know, I mean, dog mentality. Uh, it was Shane Steichen the other day was, uh, I think it was, uh, I mentioned that on the show, it was, uh, feed the positive, weed the negative. Right. You just said alignment, assignment, key technique, hitch principle. I mean, come on, guys. We're not T-shirts. We're not, you know, everything's got to be my five connect. We got that. It's all on a T-shirt. At some point, you know, people expect me to be negative. So at some point, people are going to stop listening to that crap. I already have stopped listening to it. I turn out. So you that's mean, just... You- Closed circuit to the Eagles coaching staff. At some point, people will stop listening to that. You got to have more substance. Now, wait a minute, John McMullen. I know you love ball. Are you telling me you're not going to love ball because they just go to too many cliches that can be captured on T-shirts? Eagle coaching staff. I don't believe that, John McMullen. You're never you going to stop you loving love ball. ball. I, I, how many times is you know if if you have worth it, work ethic, love ball, whatever? I mean, I literally tune it out. And to his credit, I will say, I know I'm like a uh, you know I know I I sound like I'm repeating myself all the time. I sound like a broken record. He does know it, but I mean, at some point, it's like the adjustments on the field. At some point, you got to adjust. You gotta go. You gotta go down the more substance route. Sometimes he does go down that route, and that's when he's better. We're talking about the Eagles' coaching staff. I also want to talk with Johnny Mack about 
the opposition's <clears throat> coaching staff because Miss uh, mm. Shanahan is coming in this week and over the last couple of years, although uh, his counterpart in the AFC West, uh, the coach in Los Angeles these days, seems to me to actually get more coverage or be put more on a pedestal. I think Kyle Shanahan might be the most innovative uh, offensive coach in the National Football League, which means Jonathan Gannon and the Eagle defense have their work cut out for them. Tougher task this week against the 49ers offense than they had week one against Atlanta. I'll come back and I'll ask Johnny Mack what T-shirt slogans he's going to break out to describe what the Eagle defense is going to have to do against the 49er offense next here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rip... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero carbs, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears the live post game show is powered by IBEW Local 98 Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Gathering on a Thursday, leading to the Sunday matchup with the 
San Francisco 49ers coming to town with an expected full link backing the hometown team. Uh, he's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We're your Birds 365 guys. Uh, joining us at hour number two will be our buddy Jeff Mosher from Inside the Eagles, Inside the Eagles podcast, Inside the Eagles. Inside the Birds. Inside the Birds. Oh, what did I say? Inside the Eagles, Inside the Birds. Thank you very much for the correction. Inside the Birds uh, co-host. Uh, Jeff Mosher is going to hop aboard with us uh, come uh, hour number two. All right, the Eagles on Sunday, packed house at the link, so we assume. Uh, would you? Well, would, would you? I'm going I'm to say it's packed. Yeah, I was going to say, would, would you make a wager with me that the game is sold out? That would be a sucker bet, which McMullen isn't foolish enough to fall for. So the, the, the fans will be there. The fans will be ready. We believe Jonathan Gannon's defense will be ready, but it's a tough task. There was only one team in the NFL that uh, put up a 40 spot this last week. We were impressed with the Eagle offense, but they didn't put up as many points as the uh, 49ers did. Uh, yeah, it kind of looks like they went with dueling quarterbacks because Trey Lance got into the game, threw a pass, made it a touchdown. Good way to start your NFL career if you're Trey Lance. But truth be told, this was the Jimmy Garoppolo show, and he threw for over 300 yards. Um, as compared to what the Falcons put out there as a test week one, how much does the D need to be ratcheted up here in week two because they're just facing a better offense? Yeah, I mean, I think pretty significantly. And it's interesting because everybody, the 49ers lost Raheem Mostert, obviously, for the season, and he's their top running back. But then they have a six-round pick running for 100 yards. I mean, they can run on anybody. That's And everybody's talking about it. You talk. You mentioned Kyle Shanahan, the reputation. It Specifically, it's about them running game, and it really goes back to his father way back in the day in Denver and, and the zone running. Alex Gibbs, nobody does it better. And the 49ers are kind of that team now. They can run the football with anybody. Uh, Trey Sermon's probably their most talented back, but he's having some kind of issues with the coach. It was interesting. I think we have to talk about Kyle Shanahan because he has this huge reputation, as you mentioned, Jody. I don't know if it's that well deserved. I mean, the is it about his father? I I mean, he's he's under five hundred as a coach. Part of that has to do with injuries. I mean, they got decimated last year, but it, people talk about this guy in reverent terms, and I'm like, has he earned that to this point? I don't, I don't well, know if he has. Um, I'll, make, I'll make the argument for him. Um, last three years, we've had five coaches make the Super Bowl, right? Because Andy Reid made it twice out of the last three years. So he's one of only five coaches that makes Super Bowl in the last three years. I think that kind of counts for something. Uh <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm more about, you know, I like when I when I saw the 49ers that year, and I always go back and I, I confirmed it with Bob Lang, who was with the 49ers, they completely shut down the passing game. Like he does not, I've said this on the show with you, for, he does not want Jimmy Garoppolo. He wants to get to Trey Lance as quickly as possible. It's very similar, similar to the Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick dynamic back in the day when Jim Harbaugh was there. It's, it's not that Garoppolo was terrible. He's you know, he can game manage. He can do some things. He cannot make mistakes. He, he wins games uh, if you have a good team. But, you know, you have that ceiling and and you need a more explosive part of the offense, <clears throat> which is what Kaepernick was able to offer back in the day when the 49ers made the Super Bowl under Harbaugh. 
I think that's what they're going for. They're going to get to Trey Lance at some point this season. It's not going to be this week. Uh, but at some point this season, he's going to take over that team. Um, the running the running attack is unbelievable. It's the best in football. But how much does that mean in the modern NFL? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a fair question to ask. I think it may, might mean a lot against the Eagles because they're really bad at stopping the run, or at least they project to be poor. And that's why I think this is just such a big test, uh, especially for the Eagles linebackers this week. But, you know, I think the, the Eagles secondary is better than people think it is. The corners are good, which is shocking that we're talking about that because of the domino effect of bringing in Steve Nelson. We'll see if Rodney McLeod gets up. Once they get Rodney back, uh, you, you team him with Anthony Harris. It's not awesome, but it's solid. Um, and I look at the San Francisco side. Okay, you got to deal with Kittle. Kittle's one of those guys who is going to create a matchup problem for anybody. Um, you know, then you have Debo Samuel, who is a phenomenal player. Um, and he's more of that where's Waldo type player. He's all over the place. He might line up in the backfield. Um, he's going to jet sweep. He's going to do all that stuff. But again, he he he's he barely played Brandon Ayuk, who's a really talented kid. People remember him probably from last year. The talk was, you're going to draft Jalen Rager, you're going to draft Justin Jefferson, you're going to draft Brandon Ayuk. He barely played last week because he's obviously he's evidently butting heads with the head coach. Trey Sermon didn't play, I don't think, because he's butting heads or the head coach doesn't think he's ready. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there versus this coaching staff, which, again, Nick Sirianni, player, 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 player. He's putting the players first. Jonathan Gannon's putting the players first. I don't know, man. And there's something – and plus, I got a bad taste in my mouth, Jody, because he – he this year the NFL made a terrible policy change. Let me state this clearly, terrible policy change – and they made the opposing coach conference call optional right. as if the coaches aren't going to turn that down. And sure enough, Kyle Shanahan turned it down. So we can't ask him all these questions. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that guy deserves the reverence that he gets in this Well, A couple of things here. Number one, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, we brought that up after you uh, left us yesterday. I talked about it with Jeff Kerr that – that was the case this week and that uh, certain coaches have already blown people off. Did Arthur Smith do that to you guys last week? No, Arthur spoke. Okay. Arthur so spoke. But so you know what? I, you know, this has been around for so long. This rule has been around. It's been mandatory for opposing coaches to do this. I don't think anybody realized it until Urban Meyer opened the floodgates. Right. Now that everybody realizes it, we're never getting these things. I'm, I mean, these coaches are nuts. I, I shouldn't say never. There's there's some really got there's some really guys comfortable enough in their own skin that it's not going to bother them. Right. Um, but I think it's going to be few and far between, and especially with the newer school coaches, they're not doing that. If they I would tend to, to agree. And Urban Urban Meyer did it week one. He did. And then he went out and got his tail kicked in game one by the Houston Texans, who everyone thought was going to be the worst team in the National Football League. And, oh, lo and behold, Urban's not going to take care of the 
visiting media in week number two. Oh, that's real week on Urban Meyer's part. And yes, I gave him a hard time for it on yesterday's show with Jeff Kerr. But I, I, I'm, I'm asking you, buddy, here, don't get too out of sorts. I know Nick Sirianni was very impressive in his win last week. He's 1-0. Kyle Shanahan has taken a team to the Super Bowl. No, I'm there's not. One coach's I'm not. Accomplishment, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then I'm not. the other's yeah. coach's accomplishment. Well, you just said uh, two minutes ago. Now, as I compared meant, to I, the coach here. That was the player perspective. He evidently is feuding. Like, Brandon Ayuk is our, arguably his best receiver, and he's not playing him. I don't know why. Um, you know, because – and I say because Debo Samuel is – um, a different type of player. It's not that he's not a good player. He's a great player, but he's just, he's not a, a standard. You don't think of him as a standard receiver. Right. Um, Trey Sermon. I mean, without Mostert, Trey Sermon's their best back. He's not playing. Why is he not playing? I was comparing it from the player perspective, from the relationship with not, not, I mean, the guy's coach one game. I'm not, I'm not putting Nick Sirianni in the hall of fame. I'm saying from, a player perspective, Nick Sirianni seems to be doing a good job putting the ego in the back pocket. We we all know that coaches sometimes have trouble doing that. I don't know if that's what's – because I'm not there. I don't know if that's what's going on in San Francisco. But it's weird. It's weird when you don't want your best players on the field and they're healthy. That's, that, that, that's a red flag to me. Purely from a – rallying the troops players are 100 beside the coach behind the coach perspective yeah you might even say nick sirianni is that of a guy like kyle shanahan because uh even though shanahan has already achieved what he's achieved as a coach right you can just see what the players are doing and uh guys who are player aren't playing um it's just the the, the way you stated i thought you were talking about overall coach no. you were talking about shanahan's no. reputation no. Well, to me, his reputation is forged by what his team has done more so than what his players think of him at this very moment leading into week number two. So that's why I was wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you really putting Nick Sirianni on the same level as no. – I, I, I must have misunderstood the point you were trying to make. Um, but they do have their work cut out for trying to shut down that Sirianni offense. You mentioned George Kittle. I gave Avante Maddox a lot of credit last week and – uh, Pro Football Focus uh, agreed with me. They gave him a really high grade for the game, even though he did miss a couple of tackles. He also basically shut down uh, Kyle Pitts, the young stud tight end for the Falcons. How much of that was outstanding defense by Maddox and or Kyle Pitts just not up to speed, up to the task week one. The Falcons probably know better than anybody else, but uh, judge it for yourself. George Kittle, a different story. <laughs> Talk about a guy who's already gotten his reputation earned between the lines on Sundays. That's George Kittle. Most people think of him as the second-best tight end behind only uh, Jason Kelsey uh, out there in Kansas City um, or Travis Kelsey, Jason's brother, out there in KC. Are they going to put Maddox on an island? That's what it mm. seemed like to me, Johnny Mac. You were in-house, so you could see better yeah. than we could back here on TV. It looked like Avante Maddox was covering – uh, the Falcon tight end almost exclusively last week. George Kittle could make him pay a little bit more last week than the Falcons did. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's always fun. I, there are certain players in this league. Aaron Donald's probably the the number one example. Um, back in the day, it was probably Randy Moss, where the the other players are in awe of them. They're just in awe of them. And George Kittle's 
near that category. And Darius Slay talked yesterday. You should have heard, and if you get an opportunity to go to the Eagles website, listen to Darius Slay's press conference. You should have heard him talking about George Kittle. Um, talking about his stiff arm. It's like this guy is a monster. Uh, there's this one running play they ran uh, where he just clapped. This is a tight end. He collapsed in the whole side of of the of the defensive line for the Detroit. This is a tight end. This is an old school tight end guy. This is I would argue with you. This is the best tight end in football uh, because he can do both aspects of it, and he's a great receiver as well. It's just weird. He's a dinosaur. Uh, these players just don't exist anymore. Dallas Goddard might be the closest one to being that dual type of really good blocker that can also catch the football, but he's up a, another notch. Yeah. He's really difficult to deal with. And I mean, they said the same thing with Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts might be two, three years down the line. We might be talking about Kyle Pitts like a superstar, but I do think a lot of it was first NFL game. He wasn't comfortable. He wasn't used to it. Um, just a good spot for the Eagles when it came to Kyle Pitts. Yeah, I mean, it's always – it's tough for everybody to deal with George Kittle. The one issue with George Kittle has been he plays – he's so physical, he always gets hurt. He's got a little bit of bronc in him. He's always banged up. Unfortunately, he's healthy. I don't think he's hurt. So, until he gets hurt, you get ready for that stiff arm, is what Slay said. And it might not take all that much of a stiff arm because Avante Maddox just doesn't match up with him size-wise – if not Maddox, then who? It sounds like Darius Slay wants no part of covering him, and <laughs> you wouldn't use one of your outside. Mm. Well, you said corner. he can cover him. Covering him's not the problem for a cornerback, but you know the other stuff is the problem because he's so big and physical. He's going to catch the football. And then how do you get him down? That's the problem. You can't put a corner on him. So it's got to be a linebacker. It's got to be Eric Wilson. It's got to be a safety. It's got to be Anthony Harris, Rodney McLeod if he's playing, Kayvon Wallace. It's a bad matchup, but I mean, you know, you try to, if you could stop the other guys, I'll tell you what, if Brandon Ayuk's not playing, it helps you out. Um, you know, you got to deal with Debo Samuel, uh, and but you don't have to deal with that third guy. Um, and he has, Ayuk has had a bit of a hamstring. Uh, so maybe Kyle Shanahan thinks he's not 100%, whatever. But that helps. But it, yeah, it's a difficult matchup, and it's going to be the old, you need more than one. It's not going to be one guy dealing with George Kittle. Uh, question for you. And again, you could judge better because you were there in the stadium on Sunday than any of us home watching TV. Um, we used to talk about it uh, or uh, before there was ever birds 365 years gone by uh, with the Eagles and Jim Schwartz's defense, um, putting a cornerback on a particular player that they cover him wherever he goes, anytime, left side, right side, doesn't matter. They shadow him. It's not corners playing side, left cornerback, right cornerback. There's always a debate as to how best to do it, how flexible sh you should be. Um, I, I don't know how much the Eagles did that on uh, Monday against the Falcons. Debo Samuel has this big breakout game, and it's certainly with Ayuk not playing uh, the unquestionable number one target on the outside for the 49ers. Is Jonathan Gannon just going to turn Darius Slay loose 
on Debo Samuel, or is he going to play left side, right side? How are the Eagles going to match up secondary-wise against the 49ers' number one outside threat? I don't think um, they're going to travel with Samuel for the most obvious reason is he might line up in the backfield at times. So the last thing you want is a corner just shadowing a guy who might be in the backfield. I mean, they use him in so many different ways. Again, the jet sweeps, the orbit motion, but uh, he might line up as a running back. He he has done that in the past and he's been successful at it. So he's such a unique player. Um, I think the typical wide Devontae Smith, you know, great wide receiver, great young wide receiver. If you're an opposing defense and you've got a big time corner, you might want to put him on Devontae Smith and see if he can slow him down. Or you can go the Bill Belichick route, who was always like, I'm going to put my top corner on your second best receiver and just completely shut down one side of the field and then bracket the top guy. So there's a lot of ways you can go about it. In in this particular instance, I think the uh, the uniqueness of Debo Samuel prevents it, uh, and and that's part where I'll give Kyle credit. You know, he uses that uniqueness to his advantage. He is a great scheme guy, <clears throat> so I give him credit for that. But I do think long term the Eagles have more ability to do that uh, than I have in quite a few years because one, they got a corner that can do it in Slay. And two, they have another corner who's not going to get out of sorts by moving around. Because remember, if you move one guy, the other guy's got to move and he's got to play out of position. But I think Steve Nelson can do that. And I think Avante Maddox now has played enough where he's not going to get affected by having a different guy uh, than than usual to where he is on the field, so I think they have the ability to do it. I don't I don't think this week is is when they would do it, um, but we'll see. And you know, it's always defensive coordinators like to throw curveballs, right? And I think uh, Gannon has certainly emphasized that when he's talked to you guys that uh, deception and keeping your intentions hidden as long as you can, as best you can, is a major advantage. So uh, I think you're right. I don't think they'll tip their hand on that at all. Uh, I don't think it'll be a big part of it, your explanation of the fact that uh, Samuel comes at you from so so many different ways, including out of the backfield, is a uh, main reason why they wouldn't do something like that, but just something to keep your eye on on Sunday. Certainly something we're going to have our eye on on Sunday is uh, Jalen Hurts. And I have not broached this yet this week. Could have broached it on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, but I didn't want to take away from what Jalen Hurts had accomplished in his uh, first start of the year on Sunday. But uh, my buddy, Jay Glazer of Fox, who I've known for 30 years, Glazer and I go back 30 years when he was my intern at WFAN on the overnights in the 80s. Was he, was as a he matter that, of fact, was he that jacked back then, Jody? Was he, um, was he doing the MMA? Training? He was, no, no. He was getting bigger, but no, now he's just a, a beast. Uh, he was 20 years old, 21, 22. I don't even know what he was. He was a college student just getting out of him. I think he went to NYU, if I remember right. Um, but I, my, I called him Topsy because he was uh, one of the most nervous energy guys I'd ever met in my life. <laughs> we're, we're at four o'clock in the morning. 
I'm starting to to like just pass out on the air and I just call him in and talk to him for five minutes to get me jacked up again because he just never, never, ever stops. He just like a top kept going and going and going. So I call him Topsy. Everybody else calls him Jay Glazer. Uh, Glazer reported this past Sunday that prior to the draft, someone had offered the Houston Texans three ones and three twos in exchange for Deshaun Watson. Now, he would not divulge what team that was, but we know the teams that were reported to have at least talked to the Texans, acquired with the Texans, had conversations, maybe exchanged proposals with the Texans, one of which we believe to be the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, when those conversations talk, how hard far those conversations ever got, that's something that only the Texans and the Eagles know for sure, and maybe Jay Glazer. Um, but he chose not to give out the team's name. But let's say the Eagles were one of those teams. If they had actually put three ones and three twos on the table and the Texans turned them down, and now we're – and this, again, was prior to the draft. Now we are where we are. I think it's safe to say that the Texans screwed up. They should have taken the three ones and the three twos when they were on the table. If Glazer's report is accurate, do you think the Eagles were that team? Um, it's an interesting question. How how should I phrase that? Um, I don't know if they were the team. I do know that they wanted Deshaun Watson really, really badly. Um. The question now is, do they want, still want Deshaun Watson really, really bad? Yeah, I'm going to get to that next. Yes, thank you and for I know jumping every, ahead, Johnny Mac. And I know everybody is all excited over week one. But remember, Howie Roseman gets to talk to Nick Sirianni, vice versa. You know, how much, uh, uh, look, I just talked about, I think, a, a big part of the Eagles coaching staff's early success, very early success, is about, empowering the players but i'm going to contradict myself now they schemed up jalen hurts so what is nick Sirianni telling howie roseman is this sustainable he might be telling them like this ain't sustainable people are going to figure this out um does he have the top tier skill set to make the adjustments and continue to play at a high level all I can tell you, Jody, is they wanted Deshaun Watson. They wanted him. They wanted him badly. Um, I don't know that's, that that has necessarily changed because week one of the NFL season. That's how I'll put it. What, is, what does that say about Doug Peterson last year? We cut him some slack because they're in the moment. They're in a pennant. They're in a divisional race, a very weak divisional race that the Eagles offense last year under Peterson and all of his coaches couldn't scale, uh, scheme up Jalen Hurts as effectively as Nick Sirianni did week one to start this season? Well, I think, well, first off, I think the better argument would be they couldn't scheme up Carson Wentz because that's what the offense was built around. Now, now when you're the last month of the season, you know, you're, you're, especially in a season like that. And let's also be honest, the coach probably checked out a little bit. Um, you're not, you know, rebuilding your whole offense on the fly for Jalen Hurts. So you're just throwing them out there and saying, run the offense, do what we do. And it wasn't, you know, 
too much thrown from the pocket, not enough, not enough movement, you know, bubble screen, bubble screen, you know, all these um, schemed up easy throws near the line of scrimmage. I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't good. Um, so I, you, you can criticize them, um, but I think it's different. I think that the, the more relevant argument would be Carson Wentz. And you're seeing Carson Wentz, again, very small sample size. Didn't look good week one in Indianapolis. So maybe at some point we're going to have to say it's Carson Wentz, yeah. not the coaching staff. Um, yeah, so I, I think if, if if Jalen Hurts started last season as the quarterback and, the, and Doug Peterson did a really bad job scheming the offense, I think that would be a more uh, way to go down that criticism. But that last month of the season – a lot of people checked out. A lot of people checked out. Uh, Sirianni did cover this in one of his press gatherings this week. I don't remember which one it was because he was specifically asked about the fact that Jalen Hurts' ball in the air was uh, the least uh, through the least amount of yards in the National Football League. Uh, his completions didn't like were in the air less than any other quarterback in the NFL. Oh, by the way, it worked, so I'm not questioning it, but it does tell you something that they worked on getting the ball out of his hands and getting it through the receivers ASAP, and the coach was asked about it, and he did say, yeah, a couple of those were plays where we might have gone somewhere else and thrown the ball downfield, and it uh, just didn't happen, so therefore they went to the check down and got the ball out quickly, and it was the short of the two wide receivers. Uh, you were there at the game, stadium, live. You get a better look than, again, we get on TV. You think Hurts missed throws? Uh, maybe uh, one or two, two or three, a handful over uh, the, the course of the game. Was it more than that? Uh, did you get a read on um, yeah, no, he was throwing quickly and getting out of his hands, and uh, there was never really an option of him airing it out much during that game. No, I, I, there were no uh, obvious instances where he was supposed to go deep and check it down. Um, probably the worst throw was the completion to Hertz. Zach Ertz, yeah. um, which should have went for a lot longer, um, but it was a completion. Um at the or, end of the day. Or was it? Or, or yeah. <laughs> was the Dallas Goddard completion? Was that a completion? I don't know, but it was ruled. That's all that counts. Right. Uh, the Dallas Goddard touchdown. Um, uh, no, I I think that was a little bit overblown because, you know, people picked up on it and the NFL has these next-gen stats down, the air yards, and people said, oh, 77%. Yes, he's accurate. Well, you know, everybody could be 77% at the air yardage is, what was it, 3.4? Um, you better be 77%. And that's what I was saying with the Watson t- talk. What is Nick Sirianni telling Howie Roseman? Is this sustainable? Is this sustainable? Some people say it is. I I, I saw one high-profile guy say it, it's very much sustainable, and I wish I could remember who it was. I don't know that. I I. I got to tell you, Jody, if you're going to throw. Uh, can, can I interrupt? Per- sure. ch- perhaps was it Chris Sims who said that? Mr. Didn't put him in the Chris. top 40 of I, quarterbacks in the NFL before the season. Yeah. And I haven't seen the video of his mea culpa. I've read his yeah. mea culpa where he said, and, and my God, he covers his own rear end. Oh, I out of 
uh, 6.9 million times. I'm only going to be right. 6.8888, whatever it was. Um, wow. Talk he, about he ego. Did, he did Talk skim about... it back and give Jalen Hurts credit, which I have to give Chris Sims credit for. I don't know exactly who the person you're referring to was, but it could have been Chris Sims because, oh, he had some splaining. Yeah, to do I wish after. I'd, I'll, I'll look it up in the break. I'll try to find it. But somebody said it is it's sustainable. I don't know. I mean, from my perspective, if if you're keep if you keep running things at the line of scrimmage, and there's going to be five bubble screens a game and and three four screens a game, and um, I don't know, I don't I don't think that is sustainable. But we'll see. I mean, I I the the more important part is again is Nick Sirianni telling Howie Roseman it's sustainable because the best case scenario for this team is. Jalen Hurts becomes a star quarterback, and then you can use all these draft assets to supplement him uh, and build this team up and have a cost-effective quarterback at least for uh, a few more years. That's the best-case scenario for the Philadelphia Eagles. But, you know, that's what evaluation is about. People say, how could you give Jordan Mailata this much money? He hasn't proven anything. He hasn't had a full season as a starter. Well, some people, some people have him in the Hall of Fame. Some people are more uh, pragmatic about it. Well, th- the answer is you evaluate. You think he's going to be a big-time player. That's what you do. You you bet on your own evaluation. What is the Eagles' evaluation of Jalen Hurts? Do they sit there behind the scenes and say, this is exhausting. Now we got to scheme this up. This is not sustainable. Or do they say, wow, this, guy's, this guy lets us do a lot of different things. I, I wish I had the answer to that question, but I do know, I do know with a hundred percent certainty, they really wanted Deshaun Watson. Okay, I'm I'm going to take you at your word for that. Uh, and here's the only thing that kind of is uh, kind of scratching at the back of my head. Do you think Howie Roseman is really leaning on Nick Sirianni? to tell him whether Jalen Hurts is good enough or not? Or do you think Howie Roseman has his own evaluation of whether Jalen Hurts is good enough and whether he should be continuing to pursue Deshaun Watson? I I know, hey, the coaches want to know. He's undefeated. He's going to be undefeated. Let's see if he's undefeated for another four days. That's winning percentage in NFL history. That's correct. He's tied for it right now. But I just get the feeling that Howie Roseman – has his own evaluative stance of quarterbacks in the National Football League. And he, if uh, the Texans called him today and said, listen, we're really willing to move to Sean Watson, Howie would not say, can I get back to you in 20 minutes? I need to confer with my coach. I'm guessing that's not the way the conversations go. I, 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 would, I would hope that he leans on Nick Sirianni, but I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't lean on Nick Sirianni. I, w- I would hope that he would he would really involve the coach in that kind of evaluation. You should. Um, but, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Nick Sirianni doesn't have a lot of power just yet to, to do things. But I, I do think Howie Roseman – I do think Howie Roseman understands that, you know, the only way to be successful is to have a good relationship, a good working relationship with the head coach – and if you're getting a quarterback that the head coach doesn't want, it's not a positive thing. However, I don't know if there's a coach in the world, just from a football perspective, that would want to Sean Watson. So it's kind of, 
you know, it's kind of, it, 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 it's a little bit of an easier decision. Now we're completely taking out the off the field stuff. I want to make that clear. That right. complicates things dramatically. I just mean from a football perspective, I don't know many coaches that wouldn't want Deshaun Watson unless you have Patrick Mahomes or somebody like that. And here's the other thing we got to put into the mix from my perspective standpoint. Right now, the Eagles are one to know. And the entire attitude of this fan base in town, I'm guessing the Eagle front office and the guy who sits atop the whole power structure, Jeff Lurie, that their opinions have changed over the last couple of days to from, hey, you know, maybe we could compete in this division to, yeah, this is our division to take. We're uh, one and know. Everybody it else is 0-1. Yeah, let's be. talk about winning the division this year. If you were to trade Jalen Hurts for Deshaun Watson, at some point you got to get Deshaun Watson up to speed. It's going to take a little bit. Yeah. Joe Flacco did a rescue for two weeks. Is I, that what I, it I mean, I would hope that they wouldn't make a decision like that or change a decision on that on one game against the Atlanta Falcons. I, I don't think that's the right way to do business. Um, I do think you're right. Look at what's happened. I mean, Washington lost its quarterback. The Cowboys have been decimated since they got off the field. They were they were supposed to have a break, you know, playing on Thursday night, have the extra time. And they're just going down like flies. Uh, the Giants are just a mess. Um, they could win this division with Jalen Hurts. Are they a Super Bowl contender, though? I, I, I don't think so. So, you know, that's the ultimate goal, well, rather than winning a bad division at 9-8. and eight, I would think that should be the ultimate goal. But again, I've talked about discipline when we started this show, Jody. I talked about discipline, discipline, discipline when you're building your team. Because it's tough. Because you, here you are. It's overreaction Monday, week one. Now we're at overreaction Thursday, week one. People are like, oh, the Eagles are upset at quarterback. No, they're not. Slow your roll. No, they're not. Is it sustainable? I don't know. I don't think the Eagles know. Or they shouldn't know, um, but they have a better feel for it than we do. But when you and you know, I I've thrown this out there numerous times because it's one of my favorite stories. The fuck you player, Deshaun Watson's a fuck you player. Yeah. I'm sorry, he is. He is. I love you, Jalen, and I love Jalen Hurts on a personal level. I think he's a great kid. I people think I I don't I I get along with him personally. Deshaun Watson is a fuck you player. For you, Deshaun, uh, for you, uh, Jalen Hurts fans out here, here's the good news. Despite the fact that McMullen is right, that Deshaun Watson is a fuck you player, um, the rest of the league is saying fuck you to the Houston Texans because they don't want to touch Deshaun Watson right now because you don't know when you're going to get him on the field. You don't know when you're going to get him up to speed. You don't know when you're going to get him to be able to put your uniform on. So nobody's going to touch him. Jay Glazer reports aside that an offer may have been on the table back during the draft. Well, a lot has happened since the draft. And a lot hasn't happened since the draft. Like the NFL taking a stance on Deshaun Watson and how they're going to handle him. So I don't think Jalen Hurts is going anywhere. Deshaun Watson is not coming here. And I think that's the only quarterback we're talking about who would deplay, uh, supplant 
uh, Jalen Hurts. He's going to be the Eagle quarterback. If you love what you saw on Sunday and you believe, yes, this is going to happen every week going forward for the next 10 years, well, that might be a little overly optimistic and you might have to take off the bird-colored glasses, but you're going to get him for the rest of this year. He's going to be the guy. Unless he gets hurt, he's going to be the Eagle quarterback for all 17 weeks this year. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. Come back. I want to expand on something John just brought to the table about cowboy injuries. Fitzpatrick going down, Giants not knowing what they are just yet. Uh, This week with San Francisco coming to town, two massive injuries for their team coming in, including their best cover corner and their number one running back. Is it luck? Is it karma? Is it juju? (laughs) Is it the football gods? Call it what you want. But are certain things lining up for success for the Philadelphia Eagles? We'll talk about that coming back next here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. The glass is for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Yeah, okay, but is the rim... Smooth? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You stop doing that. I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first time purchase of stateside vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. The live post-game show is powered by IBEW Local 98. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. 
our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at MessaLaw.com. Mesa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel, which, by the way, Thursday, right? Tomorrow's a big day. If you have not yet subscribed to the Jacob Media YouTube channel, you're watching us live now at the, in the morning hours when we do the show for you to pick up as we're doing it, or if you're watching it a little later in the day, um, whenever you happen to be viewing us, if you haven't subscribed yet to the Jacob Media YouTube channel, what are you doing? What is your problem? You got to be an Eagle fan if you're watching McDonald and McMullen. You're here for Birds 365. We're trying to give you Eagle season tickets. If you subscribe, you are immediately eligible and on Friday, we'll have the big giveaway on the air here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Your chance to go to the Eagles on us. All eight home games this year, including this Sunday against the 49ers. Why would you not? It doesn't cost you diddly squat. Yeah. Just subscribe, and then you're in. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I already bought my tickets for Powerball for $400 million. The odds are better here. I got less of a chance to win Powerball than you do the Eagles season tickets. So don't be a knucklehead. Subscribe to the channel and then be tuned on uh, Friday tomorrow. And by the way, Jody, live tonight, we got another prize live. We got a live show at Screwballs in King of Prussia. It's the countdown uh, to kickoff Thursday night crew. And that's going to be the post-game crew on 6abc.com, Jacob Media. You got Derek Gunn, Mark Barzetta, Devin Caney, and they're giving away a free trip to Las Vegas. You can register, not give it away. So I want to make that clear, but we're giving away uh, a trip to the Raiders game. So that's exciting as well. Very uh, cool. Screwballs, King of Prussia. Screwballs? Have, have you ever been? I have never been. Nor have I've I. never been. But it sounds I'm like my kind of... you haven't done a, a live Right. Movie. Sounds like my kind of place. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm kind of... Uh, disappointed if not ticked off that I've never been to screwballs before, but that's my problem and my fault. I right, uh, speaking of being a little bit of a screwball, if you saw this coming, uh, I would have said stop looking through the eagle colored glasses. But the world is coming apart around the Philadelphia Eagles. Teams are having issues all across the National Football League, and compare them to the issues the Eagles are having, uh, they they're mounting in other places, whereas they're not here. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, you talked about it in our last segment, um, lose their number one pass rusher, Demarcus Lawrence. Michael Gallup, who, yes, we know that Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb get all the coverage down there in Dallas uh, because uh, Cooper was a high draft pick who they paid a lot of money to keep in town. C.D. Lamb, first-round draft pick. Michael Gallup doesn't have as big a pedigree as those two guys. He's a damn uh, good and important receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. He went to IR. Lyle Collins' suspension early on that 
we assume is performance enhancing related, but it was five games rather than six, which that suspension is usually six. So we don't even know why Collins got suspended, but he's out for five games. Cowboys having major issues right out of the gate. And you're right, losing him in practice kind of sucks. It's one thing to get hurt in the game, but uh, Lawrence broke his foot in practice, and now he's going to be out for an extended period of time. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, think what you may of Fitzpatrick, Fitz tragic, Fitz magic. We know he's all those things, but we'll see what Taylor Heineke is tonight against the Giants. Somebody's got to win that game. Somebody's got to lose that game. Uh, the Giants haven't been racked by injuries yet. The Giants just didn't look real good against the Denver Broncos. I watched a lot of that game after the Eagle game was over and done with and their offense. Daniel Jones just isn't a... Uh, I would bet good money on Jalen Hurts being more of a franchise quarterback going forward than Daniel Jones. One was picked fifth pick in the draft. One was picked middle of the second round. Give me the guy who was picked middle in the second round. I don't like the Giants uh, quarterback going forward. Are things lining up for the Philadelphia Eagles? Do they have the football gods on their side one game into this season, John McMullen? Well, they do. I mean, everything is coming up Eagles in week one. The problem is week two is coming. So, you know, that it stuff and Nick Sirianni, one of his T-shirt phrases this week was round one versus round two. If you're feeling too good about yourself after having a great round one, you're liable to come off come off the chair and get knocked out in round two. Um, so you got to keep it. You got to sustain it. And that's the theme of this show, sustainable. I don't know if it's sustainable, but I do know the rest of the division doesn't look good. Jason Garrett's getting killed this week. I, you, you're right about Daniel Jones. He's not playing well, but we talk about Nick Sirianni scheming up Jalen Hurts. Daniel Jones isn't getting any help from his offensive coordinator. Um, Ryan, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, people often say, you know, because Ryan has been around for so long, he's that's one of my favorite NFL jokes. What's your favorite bridge, Golden Gate, Brooklyn, or Ryan Fitzpatrick? Uh, he's been that bridge quarterback for years and years and years and years, so nobody takes him seriously. And they say, well, Taylor Honeke played well in, against Tampa Bay in the playoffs. Yeah, he was also back in college in December going for his engineering degree because nobody wanted him. I wouldn't, you know, again, you can't overreact to one game. To have a guy like that try to play the majority of the season, I don't think that's going to work out well. And the Cowboys are just the Cowboys. It's not always about the Cowboys. You know, you mentioned Lyle Collins. We do know he missed his substance abuse test. He missed them. He didn't fail. He just didn't show up to take them. And he gets suspended five games. So, you know, the Cowboys are a mess. And we talked about the good of Jerry Jones, which is on the business side. The bad of Jerry Jones is he shouldn't be a general manager in the National Football League. That 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 whole structure and that organization has been a disaster for years and years and years. And the Eagles are the recipient of it all because everything is humming along smoothly in Philadelphia. Uh, here's one place where uh, I don't know that you said, but you'd stated it, but you didn't say it was your opinion. Um, Jason Garrett, uh, Cowboy, uh, Giants offensive coordinator, Giants offensive line, Daniel Jones. Wh which one is having more of an adverse effect on the other? It's always the players, I, I think. I would say 
the quarterback and the really sieve-like offensive line is making Jason Garrett's life that much more difficult than Jason Garrett's ineptitude are making the Giants players' life more difficult. If you're just stating that others are saying Jason Garrett is not yeah. getting the job uh, done. Jason Garrett's getting killed. But, yeah, I mean, Jason – yeah, it's always about the players. That's what I said about I liked about it. it's always about the players first. You know, I constantly talk about offensive line. There are certain teams, the Giants are one of them, the Jets are one of them. There are certain they can't find offensive linemen to save their lives. They draft them at the top of the draft. They can't develop them. It's amazing. And that's what I was talking about yesterday when Jeff Kerr was on the show. You know, the Eagles develop offensive linemen. You got to give a lot of credit to Jeff Stoutland. Stoutland he's it the doesn't, it doesn't end when you draft somebody. It doesn't end. And ironically, the one guy the Eagles haven't been able to get up to speed is the one they drafted the highest, and that's Andre Dillard. Um, uh, recently, you know, they've been able to get my lot up to speed. Isaac Samalo up to speed was a third-round pick. Uh, they've been able to turn these guys into, into good players. Even Nate Herbig, uh, people like that, has been competent. Uh, they've been able to do this. Uh, there are certain teams in this league, they, they take first-round picks. It doesn't matter what they do. They can't find and develop offensive linemen. And it's it's when you can't block people offensively, you're done. You're cooked. It's over. There's nothing you can do. If you can't block anybody, it's over for you. And I remember two years ago, four years ago, six years, whenever it was, um, taking a lot of uh, beating up on Eli Manning uh, calls in New York when I'm on the fan up in NYC. And I'd say, listen, I'm watching the Giants on tape. No one could survive behind the Giants offensive line. What are you picking on Eli for? Now, I uh, people think I hate Eli Manning because I say I don't think he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, oh, I'm that I'm just uh, an Eli hater. I'm defending Eli week after week because the people are calling and saying Eli stinks, and I'm going, wait a minute. Are you watching the offensive line play in front of him? He the guy is dead water. Yeah, I love – I get those same people. He stinks, but he's a Hall of Famer, one, one or the other. Yeah. Uh, he's not a Hall of Fame pick, quarterback. Pick That's not an pick insult. Pick a lane and stay in Yeah. He, he, he was – I always compared him to a street shooter. He got on a couple high – he's very much like – had a much more storied career, but much like what Nick Bowles did in the Eagles run. He was a street shooter. It was Benny Johnson. You know, when they get high, you can't stop him. Uh, and he had two great runs. But it's interesting. If you look about the Giants teams that were good, that, that did make the runs, they had a good offensive line. Yeah. They had a good defensive line, more, more importantly – but they had a good offensive line. Uh, when 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 you can't block people in this league and watch, you know this is the brilliance of Russell Wilson because he he was the the exception that proved the rule. Because the one thing Seattle couldn't get right early in their career with Russell Wilson was was building that offensive line, and he just overcame it. It's very very rare. It's very rare. And you better have the 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 ability to to move around and 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 move the pocket like a Russell Wilson, and that's difficult to find. All right, uh, JM, and we're going to have Jeff Mosher, who unfortunately spells his name with a G. Otherwise, we'd have triple JMs, and we'll bust his chops about that again. <laughs> a couple of times we've had him on, I busted him chops both times, and I'll do it again when he joins us next. Um, 
Who are we rooting for tonight? Washington football team or the New York Giants on uh, Thursday night football? Uh, somebody's got to win. I guess you root for a tie. Uh, we can get a tie. Um, no, only the Eagles can tie. No one I, else I, ties I, in the National Football League. But I, I would root for, if I was an Eagles fan, I would root for the Giants because I don't think the Giants. I, I think Washington has, you know, their defense is really talented. I think they have the best roster in the division. Um, so if they can figure things out at the quarterback position, if Taylor Heineke is better than I think he is, they could they could do some things. They could they could be more dangerous to you down the road, I think, than the New York Giants. I think the Giants are just a disaster. And much like tonight being just one game, the Eagles win on Sunday against Falcons being just one game, trying to keep it in the proper perspective. Who do you think is going to have the better game tonight? Danny Dimes or pass me another Heineke? Well, I just said they couldn't block and they're, they're, they're facing maybe the best defensive front in football. So I'm going to go Taylor Heineke. So Sadly am I. Enough. And it's, it's more of a statement about Daniel Jones than it is about Taylor Heineke. I'm sorry. I just don't like the kid. And maybe it's because I do do shows in New York and I have to listen to giant fans tell me that he's going to be a great quarterback and he was worth the fifth pick of the draft. And uh, it's just a matter of that. No, I've seen him play enough games now. He's not good. He doesn't have that great arm strength. We saw him last year here in Philadelphia trip over the 10-yard line, go down on an uncontested play when he should have got into the end zone. This past week, he padded his stats late in the game when they're down by three touchdowns. He scores a touchdown on the very last play of the game. He takes it in from about nine yards out. So even his stats are misleading. I just don't think the guy is a franchise quarterback in this league. And you're right. He's up against it tonight because even though the Redskins got beat, or excuse me, the Washington football team got beat week number one. Their defense is still one of the better units in the National Football League, and I think they're going to make uh, – in, in one last question. I know we got to get to Jeff Mosher. What kind of crowd are they going to get in D.C. tonight? We, we're talking about unquestioned sellout at Lincoln Financial yeah, Field on Sunday. For the well, you gotta, if, when you got to worry about sewage falling on you, it's always – you gotta you gotta rethink if you want to show up to the game. Uh, did you see that, Joey? No. What do you? Uh, they had uh, an open pipe uh, falling on the pants. They claimed it was rainwater, but people thought it was sewage. Uh, yeah, that place is a dump. Uh, is it? Is that where the game is? Where's the game? Yeah, games in Washington. Uh, did they have two games in a row? Uh, did they open up uh, at home? Yeah. Yeah, because they had the sewage uh, sewage pipe burst in week one. Uh, yeah, check that out in the break. It was it was an ugly situation. Yeah, that is potentially the worst field in the NFL. So, I I mean, there's a lot of hype in Washington. So normally I would say it would be a sellout because people think they're going to be a playoff team. I think there's more excitement around that team than there has been in years. But I do think the sewage pipe will affect things. I went to I went to one game at that stadium with a friend, not as a member of the media. I've never uh, covered a game as a member of the media, but if we did go down and see it, and my buddy got free tickets. When I say literally, we were in the last row of the stadium. We were in the last row of the, the now pretty close to the forty yard line. They were middle of the field, which was nice, got a nice perspective. But we were in the next to last row 
at the very top of the stadium. Man, is that stadium built on an incline. I was dog tired by the time we got to our seats. <laughs> Just walking up those stairs Whoa. was like killer. It's like you're, it, 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 from a viewing perspective, it's actually not bad because you're kind of like hanging over the field more than in some other stadiums, which are spread out. But damn, you go straight up to the top of that. You were, we were up high. I thought I was going to get a nosebleed coming back down. Uh, but you're right. It's just a bad stadium. It now, is. It Daniel is Snyder. And, you know, I was just um, in Atlanta this weekend, obviously. I mean, that thing is unbelievable. In a city that doesn't give two you-know-whats about their football team. There's probably 10,000 empty seats. Uh, but, yeah, you see these new stadiums. Los Angeles, where the Super Bowl is going to be, uh, Allegiant Stadium, and then you get FedEx Field. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some good and some bad in the stadiums in the National Football League. All right, uh, John McMullen, Jordan McDonald, coming back, we'll be joined by a GM. Not Howie Roseman. No, that would be Jeff Mosher. He's going to join us next here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rip... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears the live post game show is powered by IBEW Local 98 Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia.
Thanks for tuning in to Birds 365 here on a Thursday morning. You got your Mac and Mac guys, McMullen and McDonald. We're joined by Jeff Mosher, who looks very contemplative. He's getting ready for his uh, InsideTheBirds.com duties this weekend. Most, what are you so seriously thinking about? How I can get to the shore like you guys with that beautiful. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's tough. That the weather's still nice, so you're still going to get traffic, Jeff. I so know, just, I know. I can deal yeah. with it though. I, yeah. I need a few more beach weekends before this weather turns. I hear that. <laughs> Uh, let, all right, let's start the theme of the show before you, had, you you drop by Jeff and obviously read Jeff's work at InsideTheBirds.com. Listen to him and Adam Kaplan, also friend of the sh- uh, show, Inside the Birds podcast. Sustainable, that's what we've been saying, sustainable is what the Eagles did offensively with the quarterback, let's face it, they schemed Jalen Hurts up. They did a wonderful job. Is it sustainable long-term? I think that remains to be seen. I think that you can have a good functional offense and you can dictate tempo if you have the right offensive line, if you have the right play caller, and you have the right personnel, the right quarterback. You know, the Eagles are going to play the 49ers on Sunday, and that's a team that's known as being overly schematic from from top to bottom with everything they do because they have a coach who does that from from day one and brings in the personnel to fit the scheme and you see even when they have injuries like they did last year they lose Garoppolo Nick Mullins goes in did they have a great year no but did they completely bottom out did they not score points no they still had dead games where they were were formidable and that's because they've got the other parts right to make it work so the Eagles have a very good offensive line Quarterbacks making good strides, look really good uh, against Atlanta. The receivers that they have are always going to be, you know, for at least this year, raw and learning. But he's doing a good job of putting them in places to succeed by getting them the ball quickly and in space, which is the function of Nick Sirianni's offense, what we know of it so far. And it's not going to be 32 points every week, I don't think, because obviously the more film that develops on these players then the more game planning against specific players they'll be and then the eagles challenge will be to respond to that but from a personnel standpoint i think they have a they certainly have enough personnel to be better than they've been the last year year and a half i would say everybody's attitude coming out of game number one was wow better than i thought which is a good attitude to have glad to have it not falcons fans uh yeah <laughs> No, they, they surely did not. The, the, the sad thing about the Falcons is they probably didn't think that it was that much worse than they thought. Oh, it is. Um, which were you more surprised by? The dominance by the Eagle offense or the dominance by the Eagle defense for the last three quarters? We understand that the Falcons moved the ball a lot, settled for two field goals in the first quarter, but the last three quarters were just stone-cold dominant on defense. Which surprised you more, Jeff? Yeah, probably the defense, Jody. I thought offensively with their healthy offensive line and facing an Atlanta team that has really one guy that you got to block, Grady Jarrett. That's it. You got one guy that you got to really worry about disrupting what you want to do offensively. And they blocked him up fairly well. So it doesn't surprise me that they move the ball fairly well. Uh, I was surprised on defense. You know, you're never surprised when this team gets a good pass rush, but um, it looked at times where Matt Ryan just had zero opportunity, uh, you know, to throw the ball, especially after the first drive. 
And then it looked at times like he had to hold on to the ball because maybe he wasn't exactly sure what was going on on the back end with the Eagles playing a lot more zone than they've played in the past. So I don't know how much they expected that much zone. So it was obviously very difficult. Once they couldn't run the ball, guys, their offense was completely dormant because that was really the only weapon that they had in an arsenal to use against the Eagles. Now, it's interesting because the running game, we all know you talked about Kyle Shanahan, his scheme, his running scheme is the best in the NFL. Everybody raves about it. Everybody talks about it. Everybody tries to copy it and a few with success. Um, I look at that Eagles route, week one route, Jeff. The one thing you could take out of it and say, "Eh, just place a little asterisk here is stopping the run, especially when you get the teams who can run the football. Well, here we are. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe Raheem Mostert's hurt. Um, you know, they have a six-round pick. That For whatever reason, Kyle Shanahan doesn't think Trey Sermon is ready. But, you know, George Kittle's caving in the side of the <laughs> defensive line. Trent Williams is still the best left tackle in football. You have this zone scheme that goes back to Mike Shanahan and Alex Gibbs. And then you have Eric Wilson trying to stop the run on the Eagles' side of the football. Is that a concern? It's definitely a concern. Um, you know, Jonathan Gannon was asked, and you you know this, John, about you know any changes that he made uh, as far as stopping the run after that bad first quarter, first and a half uh, against the Falcons. And he said that the guys played their keys better. They did. They you know they they got the nerves out. And I'm not quite sure. He was being revealing everything because, you know, obviously, you know, the all 22 is not out and the NFL.com is really falling asleep there. Um, But I did rewatch the game. And what I didn't notice in real time was that late second quarter, they had a package, right? That was meant to stop the run. When, when the Falcons were going to come out with two full, uh, two tight ends and a fullback and go really big and run the Eagles had a package of Eric Wilson and TJ Edwards because Edwards is their better run stopping linebacker. Well, after Eric Wilson whiffed on about three or four tackles, later in the game it became Sean Bradley and TJ Edwards in those specific situations. And Sean Bradley is a good tackler. You know, he's a smart player. He's an overachiever for being, uh, I think, a sixth or a seventh-round pick. But if your plan against the 49ers is, okay, we're stopped, you know, we have to take Eric Wilson, our quote-unquote best linebacker, off the field to put in Sean Bradley for better run defense, Kyle Shannon's going to come out with the same exact formation – try to get that same defense on the field. And unlike Atlanta, which was going to run the ball no matter what, because that's what they have to do, Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo are going to say, oh, Sean Bradley's on the field, T.J. Edwards on the field. This run is about to become a play action. Now those guys are going to have to figure out a way to stop George Kittle, Kyle Yushik, my fullback, who's a good pass catcher, and anybody else I'm going to throw across the middle. Now the cat and mouse game favors me because I can pass the ball. Atlanta just wasn't going to do that. That's everything that San Francisco does. And if you remember last year, second play of the game, the 49ers came out in a very big package like that, play action to usage. Um, someone was hurt. So I believe the, the linebackers were Edwards again and, and Nate Gary, and usage was wide open down the left sideline, 20 yards, and he wound up dropping the ball, or Nick Mullins either underthrew him. I couldn't remember, but Jimmy Garoppolo won't underthrow him on that. Yeah, let me ask you about Garoppolo, because John and I talked about him in hour number one. Certainly when you trade up in the first round to get into a position to take a quarterback like they did with Trey Lance, Trey Lance is going to be the future quarterback of the 49ers. 
He's not going to be the quarterback of the 49ers this week. He may get in like he did last week, just to throw a wrinkle at the Eagles and make them think about it and uh, be prepared and stay on top of it. But Jimmy Garoppolo is going to win or lose the game for the 49ers this week. Is Garoppolo good enough to beat the Eagles? Yeah, he's good enough to beat the Eagles. He's not great by any means, but the Eagles don't have a great defense. Now, what he's not good enough to do, Jody, is win the game heroically if the Eagles pass rush is as good as it was against the Atlanta Falcons. Now, in order to have a pass rush that good, you've got to force the opponents behind the sticks pretty often. You have to see a lot of third and longs like the Falcons did or second and longs like the Falcons did. And honestly, a lot of those wounds for the Falcons were self-inflicted. I mean, there were a couple of drives in the second quarter where they had three penalties on five or six snaps. So it kind of made it easy for the Eagles to get into tee-off mode with their defensive linemen so that if if they're struggling to run the ball the 49ers and they're behind the sticks no that that's that sets up well for the Eagles you know if they're playing when they're playing Patrick Mahomes in a couple weeks you're going to say it may not matter if he's behind the sticks you're going to have to still be on your keys and third down you're going to have to really go after him and get him uh, and you may have to get him twice but with Garoppolo he's just not at he's not near that level you can get to him if he's uh if he doesn't have time to throw the ball you know, speaking of the pass rush, Jeff, you know, everybody for years in this town wants blitz, 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 blitz. Why don't you blitz? Why don't you blitz, Jim Swartz? You show up, you, you give up six points, 260 yards. Oh, by the way, you play a bunch of zone and blitz 10% of the time. No <laughs> blitzing whatsoever because you don't have to blitz. You right. don't have to blitz. And it's crazy to blitz if you don't have to blitz. The problem this week is now Trent Williams is in front of you and that 49ers offensive line. It's going to be much more difficult to get uh, pressure with four. Um, are we going to see some of the the A-gap stuff this week? Are we going to see some of the overload stuff? Um, you got you to continue to develop. Is, is JG going to – is is he going to do that? Is he capable of doing that in your mind? It's a great question. I think he's capable of doing it. I don't think he wants to, I, especially coming off a win like last week. So, I, I'm, you know, this is just us kind of spitballing here. I suspect he will at least try early on to see how his defense performs with mostly a four-man rush. He may throw a blitz here and there, but I don't see him coming out gangbusters, throwing the kitchen sink of stuff at Jimmy Garoppolo, and then trying to leave – his corners, you know, on an island against Debo and, and uh, not just Brandon Ayuk, but they have another player now who, uh, Sherfield, Trent Sherfield, who's kind of, um, ex, you know, elevated his role there. Uh, it, it just depends on the type of confidence he's going to have in Steven Nelson, really, because I think he still has confidence in, in Slay. But Nelson is a guy who is tough, scrappy, um, tackles well, normally physical, but he's, he's not a burner and he's been burned by burners. So you're going to want to limit how many times that guy is matched up one-on-one. I got another defense question for you, Jeff. John and I talked about it Monday and each of the last three days, as a matter of fact. Um, It seemed to me like Avante Maddox drew a lot of coverage on uh, the tight end of the Falcons, Mr. Pitts, on Sunday because they weren't in three wide receiver sets often but yet he was still on the field, so he's got to cover somebody. And he ended up getting the pits assignment, even though he's the shortest of the Eagle cornerbacks. He's drawing the six foot six tight end. 
And I thought he did a pretty good job. People were wondering, was Pitts just not ready to rock week one as a rookie? Or was he well covered playing and play out when they did? Uh, and, and Maddox missed a couple of tackles, both on Pitts and uh, in run help coverage. Uh, I, I didn't think he tackled well, but I thought he covered great. Little different assignment this week against George Kittle. A little bit further along in his career, a little bit more of a difficult cover. Is Maddox going to draw that assignment as often as he did one-on-one against the tight end as he did week one? So so it's my understanding that the team played a, at least 75% of zone against Atlanta. And, you know, obviously you saw they rushed four and they dropped seven, which is why it was so difficult for Matt Ryan to be able to pass because he just didn't have it. You can get open in zone. You just need your quarterback to have a little bit of time to, to either find you in the flats or for your receivers to kind of sit down in that cushion. And, of course, Matt Ryan had no time. So – I suspect that what we what we all saw was when they threw to Kyle Pitts, Avante Maddox looks like he's there because he's covering him, but that is mostly the the area where he was assigned to. And I think that with this defense right now, that's the best way to go about it is to have them playing as much zone as possible. That they, they just don't have great coverage linebackers. They don't have they have one good cover corner. They don't have great coverage safety. So for them to be able to you know rush four, maybe five, as John is alluding to, you're probably gonna have to force the issue at some point. But to be able to drop at least six, seven, uh, and sometimes eight if you're going to you know, only send a three-man rush just to, for a little confusion, that makes it difficult, right, for those guys, for those tight ends to really find those seams and areas uh, to sit down and make those catches if the quarterback is under pressure and duress. If not, it's going to be a long day for the Eagles defense. But that, what I like about the function of this zone is that you're not asking – Guy, like, look, you know, last year, Avante Maddox was asked to go match up one on one on the outside with guys who were taller than him, faster than him, and better than him. It's just, the number one job of a coach is to put a player in position to succeed. And right from the start of the season, Avante Maddox was not in a position to succeed. And that had a trickle up or down effect on the entire secondary. So now, now these guys are basically told this is your area. These are your lengths. These are your drops. This is, and as long as your spatial awareness and your peripheral vision is where it's supposed to be, as long as you're disciplined, the job will get done. They're not asking guys yet to go have to do things that they are physically incapable of doing. Jeff, let's take it to the offensive side of the ball because I think it's so interesting. Jordan Mailata gets the big extension before the opener. Uh, didn't happen week one, obviously. Week two, here it is. Arguably... <laughs> the best edge rusher in football when he's healthy. I think he was the key to the 49ers more than anybody else going to the Super Bowl. He was that dominant. He can wreck a game. I don't know if he's 100% of what he was, but Nick Bosa is about as good as it gets. Is that where Nick Sirianni has to start? Is he the guy you got to block, make sure first, if you want to get anything done offensively? Yeah, I think you're 100% right. You know, they have some other good defensive linemen. Javon Kinlaw is pretty good, but I think he's banged up as well. Uh, Eric Armstead's a good player, um, but the, the guy is Bosa. You know, I go back and forth. I, I honestly don't know who's better, him or his brother. They're both really, really good. You look at them statistically and how many pressures and sacks they've had in, in the relatively sh- <laughs> few amount of games that they've played in their career, and it's it's kind of crazy. And uh, even crazier, I guess the Eagles are going to play against both of them. So Mylot will have a – a chance to study one before he goes to the other later this season. But um, yeah, that that's the matchup to me that John, that's the key matchup because we've seen a lot of games, both Eagles games, NFL games 
that get wrecked by one bad matchup. I mean, this goes back to, we can talk about Winston Justice and OCU Manura. We can go back to um, last year, whether it was, you know, Jack Driscoll starting a right tackle or Jason Peters at times with uh, those two Cowboys guys. Uh, he, he really struggled and it wrecks an entire game, a whole game plan. So it's, I, I imagine that when you pay Jordan Mile a lot of that money, you don't want to have to then go and put a tight end right next to him to help him out, right? You want to have five outlets yeah. every pass play that, that you got. And that's why he's getting paid the big money. And this will be a – we know that the money doesn't make you any better, right? So, But th- this is a test where – a game where he comes under the microscope and you're going to find out about how fastly, how fast and how rapidly he's really improving. You know, Falcon fans may say that uh, that Hargrave guy kind of wrecked the game on us last week. You don't usually get it from a defensive tackle unless their name is Aaron Donald. But that's exactly the way it went last week. Um, You kind of talked about I'm going to try and tie you down a little bit more. How often do you think they keep the back in to give Mylotta theoretically a little extra help because the Bosa assignment is as tough as it is? How often do the Eagles keep the, the running back in? Yeah. Uh, I don't know it'll be if it in that situation, usually you keep it back in for the extra rusher. In this situation, the question would be, do they keep a uh, do they have the back chipping him on the way out, which is something they did a lot in training camp. But that's kind of also what you see a lot of in training camp. And then it tends to disappear during the season. So I imagine they'll have some kind of plan to get a body on him. It, you know, they may let Mylotta be on Mylotta Island for a little while and see how that goes and. You would like, I always say this, you would like to think if it's not working, then they'll figure out a way to either chip or get an extra body on him. But I still remember that game that OC had against Winston and wondering why is Andy Reid not <laughs> doing anything about this? So yeah. coaches can get pretty stubborn. There were some times where Doug did the same thing. And I wonder, why, why aren't you just helping out a little more? There? But, uh, the, you know, we'll see if Nick Sirianni is, uh, you know, the stubborn goat that most head coaches are, or if he's got a better plan. Um, the backs, uh, the the back seven, really, re- really the secondary, because the front seven is the strength of the 49ers uh, defense. You mentioned the defensive line. Fred Warner is one of the best linebackers in football. Mm-hmm. Um, corners, though, they lose uh, uh, Verrett, who's their best corner probably. Uh, so two pretty significant injuries in week one uh, for the 49ers as a whole. Do the Eagles receivers, we saw, I mean, there's talent. Uh, we saw Devontae Smith. I'm most impressed with the football IQ. He's calling out cornerback blitzes at times. Um, he's just so uh, ahead of the curve when it comes to route running. Are they at the point, and, it, and it's more outside Devontae, so it's more, I guess, a Jalen Rager, Quez Watkins question. Can they take advantage of a team that, is struggling at the corner position with injuries. Are they at that point yet? Or and and by the way, on the back end of that, is Jalen Hurts' air yardage going to be up, or is it going to be bubble screen, bubble screen, quick, quick, get the football out of his hand? Right, John. It, the, the big question is: Was last week's game plan specifically catered to get their ball, the ball in the hands quickly like that against that Dean Pease defense that tries to disguise and deceive, and you're trying to make life a little easier on your quarterback? Or was it because this coaching staff still is not comfortable yet with having the ball thrown deep to receivers who have not exactly proven to be deep threats yet? You know, last year they tried that with John Hightower, and it was like 50-50 whether he was going to catch the ball or not. And then when you have a wide-open pass and a guy doesn't catch it, there's nothing that infuriates a coach even more. That's a blown opportunity. 
Now, Jalen Rager had some opportunities last year in the season opener, caught a couple of deep ones, also had some route running um, explosion issues that they want to work on. I'd like to see them try to drive the ball with Jalen Rager. Uh, same thing with Quez Watkins. You know, he, he showed you that he has dynamic ability. And you go back to the preseason game where he beat the Steelers corner. I think it was Mike Hilton one-on-one, and then the pass just didn't connect. But for all that speed, it's interesting how they seem to want to use him on the short stuff. And I know that with him, he's kind of a daily – uh, work in progress with the coaches to to get him laser focused on all his responsibilities, lining up correctly. So some of this might be a trust issue about, you know, do, against this 49ers defense. Am I going to really have a couple of guys running deep and not sure if they're going to run the right route or be able to bring the ball in? But eventually you got to throw these. You have to see. So I would like to think they're going to try to stress these cornerbacks of the 49ers a little bit more, um, especially if if Jalen Hurts has time. Uh, but we'll learn a lot, I, I would think, about what the coaches think about their wide receiver as, as a whole after this game. All right, Jeff Mosher, time for my favorite question, a hypothetical. Uh, 49ers, George, George <laughs> Kittle catches a pass in the back of the end zone. Extra point is good. 49ers go up 13-10 with a minute and 46 seconds to go in the first half kickoff out of the end zone they got the ball on the 20 146 to go two tight end two timeouts left uh go down the field and get a field goal tie it up and a half or a touchdown retake the lead who's in the backfield with 146 to go in the first half with two timeouts left is it game well like he was last week miles sanders or shuttling them both in and out wow that's a great question <laughs> i mean that, well, that's well, why they pay me the big bucks for this show, Jeff. I know. Uh, and if they <laughs> actually have that exact scenario, I want you to have me on next week so we can say, hey, Jody, yes, you Yes, we brilliant. will. You will be back on this time next week if it's the exact situation that I just laid out. <laughs> oh, man. So where's the ball starting at again? <laughs> 25. He kicks it out of the end zone. Look, I, th I think to answer your question, these guys have very similar skill sets. They're not exactly alike, but they can do – the same things as far as you know running to the edges uh, i think i think right now miles sanders is still better between the tackles runner um I, I was a little impressed by gainwell's ability to pass protect a little bit last week so we'll see if he keeps making strides there i don't want to call him interchangeable yet i, I feel like i feel like my um miles is the primary back and if you look at the indianapolis colts where nick came from i, I feel like gainwell is their naheem hines version of this, which which to answer your question means that either of those guys could be in there, and there's really no reason why both might not be in there in an empty formation backfield, and both are in the slot, you know, right and left, because we saw that as well, and they're both good pass catchers, and they can stress a defense in the passing game, and they've talked a lot about their their 21 speed uh, personnel and and just two two running backs out there to create you know mismatches in the passing game. Uh, final one from me, Jeff, because I want to get your thought process. We talked about, we started this, um, the 49ers are eventually going to get to Trey Lance. Uh, there's no question about that. It's just a matter of when it's not going to be this week, but he's going to be on the field. Um, how much is he going to be on the field? Is, is it going to ramp up? Are we still talking about just a play here and there? Uh, mm -hmm. or is he going to start this early to try to get this potential on the field? I compare it a lot to Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick back in the day where Alex won a lot of games, 
but Jim Harbaugh knew there was a ceiling there. And in that case, it was injury, and he right. just turned the page. How right. quickly is this team going to get to Trey Lance? Probably quicker than than people expect. I mean, first of all, Jimmy's had trouble staying healthy, so Trey Lance well, yeah, is one healthy. injury away from being the quarterback. I, you know, he played, he threw a touchdown pass uh, pretty early in that game last week, right against the Lions, and I don't know how many. Oh, that's probably the only snap he might have played. So uh, I think that's intentional. Didn't want to showcase him too much. I would be shocked if he didn't play at least four to five more snaps uh, in this game, especially uh, in zone read or, or RPO type capacity, seeing how the Eagles really struggled against the run last week. Now you've got a running quarterback with good running game. That's That makes the defense even more nervous and on its toes. So it wouldn't surprise me if you saw him more often and even earlier against the Eagles. Most from time to time, John and I have uh, gotten – on the coach's case, kiddingly so, about the uh, pandering ability that he has going on the Phillies jersey and the like. Hey, coach is pretty good. He may have looked real wet behind the ears in that first press conference he had, <laughs> but he's caught up real fast. Specifically yeah, it's all part of the rope-a-dope rope yeah. routine, right? <laughs> in the sucking up to the fans uh, aspect of his job, and we give him the nod for it. So I'm going to do some pandering of my own right here. How much does the frenzied Eagle crowd in the link on Sunday help this team out? It's pretty good. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be as good as my whiteout crowud at Penn State against Auburn on Saturday, Ooh, which yeah. is going to be really tough Speaking on Speaking of sucking up, let's <laughs> suck up the Penn State. <laughs> good right, job, Moshe. Moshe is trying to keep James Franklin from USC. That's what's Oh, going absolutely. On. And I don't <laughs> even love the guy, I, but I never want him to leave. He's the, the best recruiter we've ever had. And if he's, he's going to blow games, but we're going to still win 10 just on talent alone. So I'm, I'm good with that. Um, but no, I, I think it's, it's, you know, the San, look, we know the San Francisco crowd, the whole West coast crowd is a lot different than the East coast crowd, but I, I, it's also not something the 49ers or any other team that comes into the link is unfamiliar with, but the noise can bother them. You get to certain parts of the, uh, the red zone or the end zone. And obviously the noise gets ratcheted up and you're working on a silent count. Now, the thing with the, the 49ers is I don't think they have too many new personnel on the offensive line. Is that right, John? I, I think that they're yeah, uh, Alex line. Mack is, is, but he's a veteran. Yeah, um, he's a veteran. So. so I would worry about it more if it was, uh, you know, like kind of the Eagles offensive line last year where you got like three new guys and you're, 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 they're all young and you're moving them all around. But I don't suspect that that'll be too much of an issue for the 49ers. Most good luck to your uh, Nits on Saturday against Auburn. That should be the game of the week, as a matter of fact. And then we got a good one right here on Sunday between the 49ers and the Eagles. We'll be reading your coverage, catching the podcast after the fact. Thank you much for hopping on with us today on Birds 365. You got it, guys. Have a good one. Jeff Mosher from InsideTheBirds.com, Inside the Birds podcast, here with us on Birds 365. All right, McDonald and McMullen coming back. We need to put a bow on the show. Final 10 minutes coming your way here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.
At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Yeah, okay, but is the rim... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero carbs, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. The live post-game show is powered by IBEW Local 98. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Only a couple of minutes left here on Birds 365. The question is, what is John McMullen doing with the rest of his day? Uh, you have practice access today, McMullen, yay or nay? Uh, yay. Uh, I am racing down there as soon as I get off the air. And you expect uh, the injury list to be 32 deep, 38 <laughs> deep, I'm- how many guys well, will be know, partial participants? After a 90-minute practice on Wednesday, you got to scale things back, Jody. So maybe uh, maybe we'll have the first uh, 53-man injury. <laughs> maybe we'll rest everybody. Why not? Uh, Why not? It works. Hey, it hey works. they pushed, pushed all the right buttons last week. Not only did they get a win, they got an impressive win. And at least we thought they came out of the game unscathed with injuries but you wouldn't know that from their list of uh, participants, non-participants in practice today. Um, and then where's this place in King of Prussia that uh, yours truly is going to have to Google and find out if I can get over there in time? Screwballs, King of Prussia. Screwballs um, in King of Xander, Prussia. Xander, do, do we have an address? I'd like to give out the address. Let me, uh, let me, let me, uh, let me look it up real quick. Sorry, I don't know Screwballs. Uh, do, 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 do. 
West Bidler Road, 600, King of Prussia. I assume it's near the mall. Everything's near the mall. Right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Don't know Bidler Road from uh, where I assume is. it's near the mall. I did a show forever, uh, myself and Glenn Macnow, in the uh, pizza place right at the front entrance of the mall. Uh, what was the name of the place? Pizzeria Uno? Pizzeria okay. Uno, right. Yeah, right yeah, there, yeah. At, uh, right in front. Yeah. When you first pulled into the mall parking lot, the Pizzeria Uno was right in the front. And uh, damn, we had some good shows there. And some good pizza and some good cocktails, which I'm sure they're going to have at Screwballs tonight to go out and see the uh, pregame show. Six to eight, I am told, at uh, 216 West Beedler. That's B-E-I-D-L-E-R Road. In King of Prussia. Um, find it tonight. Get out and see the crew. All right. Last couple of minutes for us, Johnny Mack. The Washington football team against the Giants tonight. Someone is going to get their first win on the season and get even with the Eagles in that respect. Somebody's got to win tonight unless, as you pointed out earlier, there's a tie. I, I bet heavily against the tie. It seems <laughs> to be like the Eagles are the only team of capable of getting ties preseason, regular season. These days, somebody's going to win that game tonight. Um, I, I asked you earlier who you're rooting for if you are an Eagle fan. You can root for whoever you want. Uh, I'll tell you I think he's going to win, and that's the Washington football team. Um, I was very unimpressed with the Giants last week against the Broncos. Teddy Bridgewater is a competent quarterback. He's not a game-winning quarterback. He's not going to throw you on his back and carry you to a victory. He was really effective against that giant defense last week, which I thought was pretty good. I was right about the game. I said it would be an under, and it was, even though they got within uh, two points of going over on the late Daniel Jones touchdown. I had to sweat it a little bit. Um, but Teddy Bridgewater moved it up and down the field against the Giants defense, and I think the Giants have one of the better secondaries in football. But the Redskins have the excuse me, the Washington football team has one of the best overall defenses in football. Non-high scoring game tonight. I think uh, Washington walks away with a win. How about you? Yeah, I agree. I, I love that defense. I've been talking about it all offseason. I think uh, the Washington football team has the most talent uh, from top to bottom uh, in the division in the NFC East. Uh, but they don't have a quarterback right now. So that complicates things. A little bit. It's a little disappointing anytime you come off the week one loss, but it's not like they were dominated by the LA Chargers and they did lose Ryan Fitzpatrick in the game. So that affects things. I think Antonio Gibson played pretty well. Um, and the defense only, what was the score of that game, Jody? It was, uh, it was like 20, 20 to 16. Yeah, it's something, something in that range. So, it, you know, the defense played well. Anytime you give up, 20 points in a modern NFL, you should win that game. You should win that game. Um, so uh, I think they'll only get better as the year moves on. Yeah, I like I like the Washington football team in this one. And last week, Antonio Gibson carried it 20 times for, nine, for 90 yards. Um, that was one of my questions with the Washington football team going into the year. Uh, I watched Antonio Gibson play at Memphis. I was a little surprised he came in, had mm -hmm. as good a rookie year as he did. Could he reproduce uh, that, duplicate that here in year number two when the 
teams around the league have uh, that much more film on him and know that he's the key contributor of the team. I, passing grade week one, he carried it 20 times. A workhorse back, not too many backs in the league get it 20 times in a game anymore. You think Gibson can put up the same numbers he did last year? Yeah, I think so. I think he's a really good young player. I think you expect improvement from year one to year two. Coaches say that's where you see the most improvement typically. So anytime you have a positive rookie season, you expect a little bit of a jump. Um, And yeah, I think he's a good player. So uh, a lot of it is if you look at, you know, I would think if you're, you're, you're going to try to force Taylor Heineke to beat you. So in theory, you're going to load the box and say, throw the football. Let's see if you can do it consistently. So that might muck up the works for, for a couple of weeks. But uh, as long as they get competent play at the quarterback position, I think I think he's going to be an improving player. That's one of the reasons why there's so much um, optimism around Washington starting the season. One more quickie, uh, divisionally related, and we'll be back here in 22 hours with another episode of Birds 365. Cowboys on the road. Got to cut the Cowboys a little slack. Got to open on the road first two weeks against the Buccaneers, defending champions, Brady et al. And they hung in the game till very late. The offense looked pretty damn good, but they came up short. Now have to go on the road again, out to the West Coast. They're used to making that trip for camp, but now they have to go out and take on the Chargers in uh, SoFi this week. Cowboys going to be zero two. Well, if they are, it's going to they're going to lose thirty five to thirty probably. As you and and the Chargers, I mean, we just talked about them with with Washington. They only scored twenty points, but we talk about second year players. I love Justin Herbert. I think he's going to be a star in this league. So uh, ultimately, yeah, I think they're going to be zero and two. But I think they're going to score a lot of points. I think they're going to find a way to lose the football game. They've seen the same movie in Dallas for years and years and years. It's not going to change. It's the same movie. (laughs) That's where they are. That's where they are right now. And I think you'll see the Chargers taking the uptick offensively because they go from that Washington defense to that Dallas defense, and it's going to be a little bit easier to breathe. Yeah, Dan Dan Quinn's arrival hasn't quite solved the Cowboys' defensive questions. And now they don't have DeMarcus Lawrence, their best player, their only pass rusher. Really? Things are breaking the Eagles' way, at least for week one in the National Football League. Will it continue in week two? We'll be back here tomorrow to talk a lot more about the 49ers and the matchup at the link on Sunday. J-Mac, have a good time at practice. And if you head over to Screwballs, maybe I'll meet you there. Yes. King of Prussia, Screwballs. Got to be near the mall. Uh, find it near the mall between 6 and 8 tonight. All right. Uh, thanks for tuning in to Bird 365. Thanks to Jeff Mosher for hopping on board. Be right back at you in 22 hours, everybody. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.